0: Geologically speaking, we are going to be speaking about a -a one-of-a-kind giant rock that is located in the Mojave Desert in California. It is seven stories high and covers almost 6,100 square feet. Some say it is the largest freestanding boulder in the world. That's not all. Not only is it an ancient spiritual site for the Native American Hopi tribe, it is also a UFO hotspot. This is Unsolved Mysteries of the World, Season 1, Episode 22, The Giant Rock UFO Magnet. The modern backstory of the boulder begins in the 1930s, when German immigrant and miner Frank Kritzer met pilot George Van Tassel. Becoming close friends, Van Tassel loaned Kritzer $30 to buy mining equipment. Kritzer, instead of mining for minerals, dug out a 400-square-foot home for himself directly beneath the giant rock. He also purchased a large radio antenna and placed it on top of the giant rock in order to get better reception. Locals believed he was mentally ill and Kritzer would often guard his home, armed, and in the early days no one seemed to mind the desert eccentric. But then World War II erupted and people started to question Kritzer, being of German descent and acting very odd, and especially with the giant antenna on his giant rock. He was a target And rumors swirled that he was a Nazi spy. The rumors, based on no factual evidence, crept into the hearts and minds of his neighbors and they demanded authorities do something about him. The police raided the giant rock home and while his exact cause of death is listed as unknown, legend says that when authorities attempted to extricate Kritzer by shooting tear gas canisters into his cave, One accidentally ignited a small store of explosives that he had for mining. The explosion was so massive that Kritzer's body was unidentifiable. As it turns out, Kritzer was not a spy after all, but just what he seemed, an eccentric who wanted to be left alone to live, quite literally, under a rock. Upon hearing of his friend's death, Van Tassel went to the giant rock and slowly reopened An old airfield naming it Giant Rock Airport. Van Tassel's war friend Howard Hughes, for whom Van Tassel was a test pilot, is said to have flown there just for a slice of Van Tassel's wife's pie. In addition to being an aviator, Van Tassel was also a believer in alien life. In 1952, Tassel began holding meditation sessions in Kritzer's old home under the rock. Here, Van Tassel believed he was receiving vital information from alien sources for the construction of a fantastic machine. The body, Van Tassel learned from his alien sources, was an electric device, and aging was caused by a loss of power. Van Tassel claimed to have even been transported on alien spaceships, where he met a wise group of aliens known as the Council of Seven Lights from the planet Venus. Tassel said this extraterrestrial meeting, along with ideas from scientists such as Nikola Tesla, inspired the construction of a large device which was to be a building that was also a rejuvenation machine. It was dubbed the Integratron. Van Tassel held extremely popular UFO conventions, known as Giant Rock Spacecraft Conventions, on its property for over 20 years to help raise money for the Integratron's construction. The dome structure, built without nails over a period of 34 years, was said to be capable of collecting up to 50,000 volts of static electricity from the air in order to charge the human body. It was said that once fully complete, it would have anti-gravitational and time-traveling capabilities provided by extraterrestrial life on Venus. In 1957, Life magazine featured the UFO convention in Van Tassel in one of their feature articles. The culture of the American fascination of UFOs is captured perfectly in these photos alongside the write-up. We will scan these photos from the magazine and make them available on our Facebook page. Van Tassel hosted the Giant Rock Spacecraft Convention annually beside the rock from 1953 to 1978 that attracted, at its peak in 1959, as many as 10,000 attendees. Guests trekked to the desert by car or landed airplanes on Van Tassel's small airstrip. Every famous contactee appeared personally at these conventions over the years, and many more not-so-famous ones. References often state that the first and most famous contactee, George Adamski, boycotted these conventions. However, Adamski attended the third convention held in 1955 where he gave a 35-minute lecture and was interviewed by Edward J. Ruppelt. It was the only such convention Adamski attended. Van Tassel even self-published a book entitled I Rode a Flying Saucer, which is still available today in electronic form. Original publications are rare and extremely collectible. The book describes meeting tanned space creatures who transmitted knowledge to him through telepathy. Van Tassel claimed that Sol Ganda, the alien's leader, ultimately instructed him on how to build a time machine that would heal and strengthen humans. But just before the completion of the Integratron's construction, Van Tassel suffered a heart attack. Rumor has it that he was visited by members of the U.S. military shortly before he died, driving conspiracy theorists into a frenzy. In the 1970s, the Integratron was being developed into a full-swing disco, but plans and funds fell short, as did the disco craze. Today, the unfinished integratron still stands out in the desert, cared for by the current owners, who put it to use as a site for sound baths, which, according to their website, are 60-minute sonic healing sessions that consist of 25 minutes of crystal bowls played live. In February 2000, a giant chunk of the rock broke off, and spiritual leader Sri Nathadevi interpreted the break in a positive light. He says, The mother had opened her arms to us, cracking open her heart for the whole world to see. Geologists speculate the break was the result of fires burned under the giant rock in what was once Frank Kritzer's underground home. In 2008, the UFO convention at Giant Rock was revitalized as the retro UFO convention.
1: This is KMIR 6 News at 11. Well, some say flying saucers are a hoax. Others say proof there's life on other planets is right here in the desert. KMIR 6 reporter Tina Patel takes a a look at UFOs. Fact or science fiction?
2: Last week, dozens of people in the Phoenix area reported seeing strange lights in the sky. A few days later, the unidentified flying object was identified. An Arizona man admitted to tying flares to helium balloons and letting them loose from his backyard. This sighting may have turned out to be a hoax, but there are plenty of other people who say they have witnessed something not of this world. Yes. Yeah. I've had th- I've had experiences out here I cannot explain. Here is Landers, a city in the high desert that is home to two mysterious places giant rock which is said to be the largest freestanding boulder in the world. It was here that in the 1950s an aerospace engineer named George Van Tassel supposedly encountered a bean from Venus, a bean that told him to build this structure just a few miles away, the Integratron, a circular dome that some say has healing powers. But today it's easy we have all our little gadgets we have all our little tools and we can know where you know the magnetics go and all the ley lines and everything and george kind of instinctively or intuitively or was told so we say from the the space people this is where he should build it this weekend the integratron was the site for the third annual retro ufo convention it drew about a hundred believers from around the country or well, they have very good speakers that come out here and there's a freedom to discuss things that you can't discuss in a lot of other places. No. The convention had a lighthearted tone. One of the events was an aluminum foil hat making contest. Because the humor is creativity. The joy is the creativity. But the reason these believers came together is no joke. Many of them say they have made contact with extraterrestrials. Bob Shorts says the first time for him was through a ham radio.
3: Voice
1: communications, sometimes we would get numeral numeral code, but mostly voice communications. They told us about the coming of the greys, told us about that, that that was coming on, told us about the coming of the particle belt that was going to that we were going to be passing through together
3: with the Pleiades.
2: In the 1950s and 60s, Short came to Giant Rock to meet with Van Tassel and other contactees. He told us the reason aliens chose to communicate with them.
1: We were willing to listen to them, willing to be open to listen to what they had to say, rather than being closed off.
2: And the message he says he got?
1: To take care of Mother Earth, stop the aggressive attitudes
2: keep the mind
1: open, don't close it.
2: Barbara Harris is trying to keep an open mind. That's why she booked short to be one of the speakers during this year's convention. She admits there are some questions in the stories she hears. One of the things I found out, From doing this for the third year is some of the original contactees. They've kind of gotten up in years. I think that over the years, their stories also have gotten bigger. But Harris believes there is some truth to the stories. After all, she has stories of her own. And there were these lights and figures all over the place, and 30 people were here, saw stuff in the sky. So could landers be the site of not only future UFO conventions, but future UFO sightings? We think something happened out here. Something does go on out here. And the only thing we could tell people is come out and see it for yourself. Inlanders, Tina Patel, KMIR 6 News. In
0: 1964, Van Tassel was interviewed by KVOS Channel 12 because they were fascinated by Van Tassel's extraordinary precognitive statements for a UFO event. In 1952, over a week before the events of the Washington, D.C. UFO incident, George Van Tassel notified the U.S. Air Force, Los Angeles Herald Examiner, and Life magazine editors of the future events of the 1952 Washington, D.C. UFO incident via registered letters. This event was witnessed by thousands of people in and around the Washington D.C. area. It is one of the most publicized sightings to have ever taken place and somehow Van Tassel knew they were going to occur. Here is the unedited interview courtesy of KVOS Channel 12, Center for Pacific Northwest Studies, Western Washington University in Bellingham, Washington. Please note that the sound quality is limited and that the first five seconds of audio have been cut in a 1960s newsroom by accident. It also ends abruptly, again, due to the physical cut of the film stock.
3: Bad. so it's safe to talk about flying saucers and people from outer space, people who may be circulating among us now, and who demonstrate their unearthly qualities if they choose you as one of their agents, by disappearing and reappearing at will in your very presence, in front, if necessary, of many witnesses, and who land on this materialistic earth in flying saucers, to which you, if you're one of the chosen, shall enter through an anti-gravity elevator. Nothing to hold you up. You just whisk up into the body of the flying saucer, a scout ship from outer space. No way. I'm not really joking. Because I've got a man now, here and now, one of the men who claims fervently that he has met these people from outer space, has talked to them, and has been given secrets of things such as a time machine from men from outer space. You'll meet this man after this plebeian and earthly message. The man you're going to meet in a moment or two, Tassel, from Giant Rock, California, is a most unlikely person to claim to have seen flying saucers and been in touch with people from outer space. George is a very ordinary fellow. He doesn't make any money out of his flying saucer beliefs, but boy, he really believes them. Before I start talking to George, I want to tell you, too, that I do have a couple of doubts in my mind. We all see these newspaper reports uh, from Socorro, New Mexico, that a mysterious craft landed and took off and left blast marks in the sand. Airline pilots from time to time talk delicately about strange aircraft circling their normal aircraft in flight, perhaps even cutting off the power of their engines momentarily. We all love to talk about the mysterious and the unknown and the flying saucers. So now it's to George Van Tassel and this question. Time machine you're building down in uh, California.
1: Well, Jack, this was the result of a formula uh, which uh, was given to me by a man who landed a ship at my airport in 1953. And uh, we put this uh, formula under research, uh, tested a number of uh, experiments on a bench in a good electronics lab in Chicago, and uh, We produced phenomenal results uh, with evidence that uh, we should do it on a larger scale in order to be able to do more with it. And uh, this evolved out of something that started in 1953 into a four-story high machine uh, that we're working on down there today.
3: Now, George, I don't care whether the machine is four stories high or 40 stories high or four inches high. When I say calmly and unexcitedly, a time machine What does your formula tell you you can do with a time machine?
1: Well, Jack, uh, our formula has no time factor, which uh, electronic formula does have. And uh, on the other hand, uh, electronic science has only had two dimensions to work with, the electric pattern and the, the magnetic pattern perpendicular to it. And we discovered a third zone, which we call a time zone, Uh, And we are uh, working through this zone with an effort to orient the magnetic field to give us uh, other results than our science can obtain at present.
3: George, it's double talk to me. A time machine means to me a little box that I can go into and go back 5,000 years or forward 10,000 years. Is that what your formula tells you you can do?
1: Well, Jack, this isn't a little box. This is a, a four story machine focusing fields. That we can orient to produce this zone big enough for a man to get
3: into. It isn't a box. But what into. happens to the man when he gets into the zone? I'm well, all agog with curiosity. Uh,
1: Jack, we've discovered this zone is subject to thought. Now, since time doesn't record events uh, the way we do on calendars and clocks, you could only record v- an event by thinking of it. Now, theoretically, we believe we can take a videotape. Magnetic uh, camera into the time zone and photograph uh, Lincoln's Gettysburg Address or Caesar's Army's marching or anything that's ever happened
3: right, let me get this straight. In other words, you're telling me like H.G. Wells imagined 50 years ago that everything that happened in time is still there to be seen by the recreation electronically of a thought which exists
1: uh, Jack, uh, you know how you uh, talk into a tape on a tape recorder and play the interruptions back, identical to the uh, play that you made. Uh, the Earth's magnetic field is uh, the same way. You can put interruptions into it and play them back out of it. An associate of ours in uh, creating a magnetic coupler with this principle, coupled in the Earth's magnetic field and played back TV shows from stations that, do- that aren't even in business anymore.
3: Do you mean an experiment has been done to bring out of the air television programs which have been and gone? been and gone. now where was this experiment conducted? it was conducted in Santa Monica by an associate of mine why yeah. hasn't this hit the headlines throughout the world as that's a time machine in action in well, can- fact uh,
1: Jack uh, the reason it hasn't hit the world is because uh, uh, as I understand it now the Navy Department uh, Took him and the research over because uh, uh, he also discovered he could bounce uh, magnetic echoes off the ionosphere and locate submarines under the ocean regardless of where they were. Who
3: is this associate of yours? This is a fellow named Charlie Arts. Charlie Arts? Yeah. And is he a free man walking around today? Well he's free where uh, where he
1: is in this uh, super secret research he's conducting.
3: Now so therefore you tell me soberly in front of the television camera that things, uh, old television programs, have been recreated out of nothing.
1: Played back with a picture and the sound just as good as the day they were broadcast. We've done this many times.
3: Why didn't you bring one up with you?
1: Well, this requires quite a piece of apparatus. This magnetic coupler works on around 50,000 volts, and uh, it doesn't uh, have any radio frequency. Uh, connected with it, and actually the television set which plays back the picture doesn't even have an antenna connected to
3: it. George, you know as well as I do, and you've been on television 350 times, and I've known you, I've met you once seven years ago, and I kind of like you. But you know what the people out there are saying. They're saying, this man's a nut.
1: Well, Jack, you know, when Fulton was running his steamboat up the Hudson River, there were people still standing on the bank saying it couldn't be done.
3: All right, let me take you back, though. You have a time machine plan. You have done experiments which show you can bring the past to life. Where did this formula come from?
1: I love that Scotch accent. (laughs) Uh, Jack, the formula came from a ship that landed at my airport in 1953 on August the 24th, uh, which had four people aboard it that came from another planet. I'm breathless. Well, you're not only breathless, I was breathless. But I'm cynical, too. Well, that's fine. That's the way to be. In fact, I'm a bigger skeptic than you are of many things. I'm an
3: unbeliever. Convince me that this really happened to you.
1: Well, uh, this, this thing is very similar to a thing that's happened in our biblical records where uh, a Lord presented Moses with a pattern to build a tabernacle. He, they came out of the sky. They handed him stone tablets. And this phenomena that's taking place today is as old as our history as our civilization. This isn't anything new that's occurring, it's something that's uh, being continued in another time of crisis when uh, conditions affecting the people of this planet are reaching a point where somebody has to take care of the situation. Now,
3: I don't intend in any way to be disrespectful or blasphemous, but do you feel, and I know you're not an evangelistic type, do you feel that you're some kind of Moses receiving a new word
1: well, I don't, I don't uh, say that, Jack. I say that what is occurring now has occurred before. There's many records of these ships landing throughout history clear back into Sanskrit. And uh, there are records in uh, the 1898 Chicago newspapers that covered the front page for three days of a big ship setting over Chicago. When you realize we're dealing with a, with a type of man that is, is almost as far above us in intelligence as we are above the lower animals, uh, there isn't anything phenomenal in this at all.
3: Now, you say casually, because this is your life's work now, uh, ships. Now, you mean Flying Saucer, don't you? Well, a Flying Saucer was
1: a name the press put on this thing, and actually what they termed a Flying Saucer was
3: nothing but a scout ship from the big carriers. But I want to go back to that night in 1953. Tell me, where did this happen for people who who, who haven't heard you talk or seen you yet?
1: It happened uh, on my airport, which I've operated for the last 16 years uh, at Giant Rock Airport 17 miles north of Yucca Valley in California, mm-hmm. or 40 miles north of Palm Springs.
3: Now, this is a private airport for small aircraft, is it? This is an
1: airport used both by the military and private uh, aircraft. You
3: own this airport, though?
1: I lease this airport from the United States government. I've operated it for 16 years since I retired from the flight test business in the aviation.
3: Right now. How old are you now, by the way, George?
1: I'm 54, Jack. Got uh, three grown daughters married and 11 grandchildren.
3: You don't mind if I ask you the stock question? I know that you've been asked every obnoxious question that can ever have been asked. You've never been treated for any form of emotional upset. I've
1: never had any emotional upset other than women.
3: Except that night in Yucca Flats, not Yucca Flats, a giant rock, when this uh, ship appeared. Now, give me the details, John, because I'm never never tired of hearing the details of a man who says he has seen creatures from another world.
1: Well, actually, Jack, this was as simple as uh, crossing a street and getting hit by a car. After it's over, you're the victim of the circumstance. And uh, I didn't see the ship land. One of my son-in-laws, that wasn't my son-in-law at that time, uh, saw it come down. Uh, Another man on the airport heard it, and uh, he wasn't where he could see it and uh the man got off of the ship and approached me before i even knew there was a ship down where were you then
3: what time of day or it, night was it It was
1: two o'clock in the morning and uh approximately a full moon which is like daylight on the desert
3: were you walking about outside or what
1: no i was sound asleep when he awakened me this man awakened you. well something awakened me so you it,
3: got up out of your bed
1: i got out of my bed and went aboard the ship at his request
3: This man, in what language did he converse with you? He talked to me in the best English, equivalent to Ronald Coleman. And he met you there, and he said, what did he say, come with me to my ship, or what?
1: No, he said, I asked him what he wanted, uh, because we have a lot of people come in stuck in the sand and broken axles and whatnot. And uh, I asked him what he wanted, and he said, my name is Solganda, and I would be pleased to show you our craft. Solganda. Solganda. Did you, was the craft visible to you at this time? It was. When he stated this, I saw beyond him the ship, which well, I hadn't seen before. What
3: did you see?
1: A, bell, um, a bell-shaped uh, type of uh, anti-gravity uh, ship that they operate as a scout ship out of their big carriers. How big? Uh, this was 36 feet in diameter and 19 feet high.
3: And where was it? On the ground?
1: No, it was hovering 10 feet off the ground.
3: And how did you, did you go into this
1: ship? I walked with him to a spot underneath it, and uh, an anti-gravity beam took me up through a hole in the bottom of
3: it. You're telling me at 2 o'clock in the morning in Giant Rock Airport, you walked underneath this hovering ship, and whammo, you went no, up inside. Oh, you didn't go
1: whammo, you went just about as slow as a local elevator.
3: And when you got off the anti-gravity elevator, what did it look like?
1: I was inside of a ship about 18 feet in diameter and uh, roughly 10 feet high to the domed ceiling, and there were three men on the ship, besides the one that had got off and invited me aboard.
3: You keep ca- calling them men. What do you mean, men?
1: Well, uh, Little green men? They were about five foot six. They came about to my eyebrows, and uh, they could have walked in our clothes down any of our streets, and we wouldn't have paid any attention to them.
3: And uh, did you bring any proof off that ship? Were you alone in the ship?
1: I was alone with the three men until the other fellow came up behind me and then the four of them were
3: aboard. Were there any other earthly eyewitnesses to this?
1: Nothing, only outside of the ship.
3: And these people uh, stayed outside?
1: On the airport.
3: And did you go anywhere
1: in this ship? Not to my knowledge. When I got off, it was the same place it was when I got on. What do you
3: mean, not your knowledge? Had the door closed when you went in or something? I don't know, because it was
1: below the deck.
3: And uh, w- did these people tell you where they came from? They didn't say
1: where they came from, but I've been in the air game since 1927, and their instruments were unlike anything I'd ever seen before.
3: Well, don't give me technicalities. What was different?
1: The difference was that we used dial instruments, and they used vertical instruments, like uh, fluorescent tubes with marks on them.
3: What and color were
1: these people? The instruments were marked in symbols similar to hieroglyphics. They were not in any language or number system we use on the air-
3: earth. What? color were these people? They looked, uh, like they were white people with a good healthy tan. Did they give you any indication of how old they were, or what they ate, or where they came from at all? After we got off the ship, the man who, uh,
1: invited me aboard, who didn't look a day over 28 years of age, told me that he was over 700 years of age in our time. Oh, come off it, George. That's right.
3: Was this the guy who gave you the formula for the time machine?
1: That's the man. And uh,
3: what form did the formula take? Did he implant it in your mind by telepathy, or did he give you something written in he English? He spoke it to me verbally. And you remembered this? There's nothing to it to remember. Will you tell me now. The yes. formula for a time machine. F equals one over T. F equals one over T. F being frequency and T being time. And this enables me to, to, to go back to the time of Caesar's armies uh, conquering Britain. Well, it would enable a
1: mathematician to work this out, yes.
3: And why hasn't this been acclaimed like Einstein's E equals MC squared?
1: Well, why hasn't the fact that the United States government's been flying uh, anti-gravity ships since 1956 uh, been acclaimed? Or the fact that there's a crater on the moon with a base in it since 1954, we've known
3: this. Well, uh, but let's get, first of all, the U.S. Why haven't the FBI clapped you in for breaking secrets that they want to keep Secret in the United States
1: well possibly uh, because they know this information is going to get out eventually anyway And uh, what I say won't make any difference
3: now that particular night when you uh, had this experience uh, Did you call the police did you call the army the Navy the Air Force the White House?
1: Well, I'm 17 miles from the nearest phone Jack and uh, The nearest phone would get me to the sheriff's office and it takes them about 40 minutes to get out there
3: well, wouldn't you have a phone on an airport
1: no we have no phone but you're an operating airport well we're an operating airport but we're isolated in the middle of the desert uh, 17 miles from the closest town and they've never run phones out there
3: so how do you communicate uh, with uh, people who want to use your airport
1: they fly in or write and uh, uh phone to the uh, local town where my daughter lives and she notifies
3: us when she comes out. Now you talked about a crater on the moon. Now, I thought all the moon stuff had been debunked and that nobody ever really knows what goes on on the moon. What's this? Well this is
1: the Gassendi crater. This is 55 miles long and uh, oval shaped. It's in the Mare Humorum uh, Sea or on the edge of it. Uh, since 35 years ago they wondered why this particular crater had these lines in it. And with a magnification which you can get with a larger telescopes, this is what they found. These lines are tubes laying on the surface of this crater and running under some of the mountain ridges. There are three large dome-shaped structures in here. These tubes run clear outside of the crater. And we know they are tubes laying on the surface because the sun is shining from this angle. And this mountain peak causes this shadow.
3: What does it all mean? Does it mean that this is a rocket launching or a flying saucer base on on the moon?
1: This has been a base on the moon for, for perhaps uh, many thousands of years, used by these people in the spaceships to resupply their ships or whatever is required.
3: Not even Life Magazine has accepted this is genuine, has it?
1: Well, uh, the Palomar uh, Observatory people that took the picture won't even comment on it, so...
3: There must be a great conspiracy of silence to keep George Van Tassel's secret of the universe away from the people.
1: No, it isn't uh, to keep anything I know away from the people. It's to keep many things away from the people.
3: Let's talk about this picture. This, this is, picture is the time machine.
1: This is a picture of the uh, machine we're building down there. This structure is actually up. We're working now on the parts, on the equipment that operate it. This rim around here has armatures 57 feet in diameter, which will be better than four times bigger than the biggest armatures ever made before.
3: But is that the uh, place where you did the experiments? By the way, how old were these television programs you pulled back out of time and space?
1: Well, uh, the oldest one was six years back because uh, television was six years old when this was done.
3: And what program was it? Do you remember?
1: I don't remember what program, but I know that on checking up on some of the stations that Ark found that uh, the uh, station no longer existed. It was out of business.
3: Let's get down to some more basics now. Uh, are you making a, 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 a lucrative living out of traveling around the world, evangelizing for flying around the continent, evangelizing for flying saucers?
1: No, uh, Jack, uh, I'm on a vacation to rest my wife because she's been two years in a 40-seat restaurant without a rest more than anything else and I enjoy these particular things as a sideline. I make my living on the airport and uh, this uh, research is something that I've got more money into than anybody else and more uh, contribution to it. Five years of intensive uh, research without any pay. Uh, We donated uh, 10 acres of land with a well (coughs) worth $23,000 and we formed this corporation uh, for the purpose of uh, building up and investigating this basic material. All right,
3: now, how long is it going to take you to get your time machine in operation? Well, I mean, uh, it all sounds so crazy. You must admit, uh, I, I believe there are some odd things, George, but I find it hard to credit because I wasn't there myself, your own experiences.
1: Well, it took them around eight years to grind the mirror for the two hundred inch telescope, and the first cyclotron was something like eleven years in the progress of building.
3: Well, that costs millions, George. You haven't got millions, billions no, of
1: costs. No, we don't have the overhead, the drafts from the engineers, and people sitting around the payroll. All of our effort on this is voluntary by many people in technical fields that contribute their effort to the project.
3: They all believe in flying saucers.
1: They all believe in flying saucers. You
3: obviously believe totally in flying saucers. Yeah. Because of that, what does your wife believe in flying?
1: Well, uh, I don't know very many people that don't. Uh, it's as obvious as uh, uh, believing in uh, heaven or afterlife or anything else. Uh, you, you have uh, certain things you believe in in life. You believe there's air we breathe, yet you don't see it. We fly airplanes on it, and uh, this is an intangible. We can measure it.
3: But why should these people come down? These from outer space, why don't they land in the White House or in Kremlin Square in Moscow and say, hey, listen to us, we can tell you a few things. We're 700 years old. We can travel through space. We're not concerned with time differentials.
1: Well, uh, probably they're not concerned with uh, giving us too much of their information because we'd only use it in our battle to destroy each other here.
3: Did Did these four men tell you that themselves?
1: No, they didn't tell me that, but this is a reasonable assumption on our part, that uh, the world's divided in two camps, each capable of eliminating the old civilization. And if we were to go to another planet and observe this condition, we would certainly be a little cautious about who we talked to or what we
3: revealed. Yeah, but uh, you yourself, was that the only experience you had? Mind you, that's 11 years ago in 1953, John. That's right. When you claimed to me you went up in this elevator into the spaceship, I met the guy who spoke like Ronald Coleman. Was that your only contact with the...
1: That was the only contact I had with the people from the ship.
3: Did you have any... Have you had any other contacts with I've had,
1: a, I've had a recent contact uh, last September, 1963. Well, uh, I don't
3: have to ask you. Tell me.
1: Well, uh, in this case, they drove a car into the airport. They didn't come in the ship. They're walking among us on the earth all the time, and we don't realize it.
3: Uh, I'm breathless. They? How many was they? Uh, the
1: the, they in the ship was four men.
3: They in the car? The
1: the man that came in, there was a man came in by himself in September. Well, you'll be telling me he had Martian
3: license plates on the car. No.
1: They
3: drove a standard American Cadillac. And what did they want with you in 1963, ten years later? They gave me some more
1: information pertinent to electronic magnetic research.
3: But uh, how did you know they were from some mysterious place in outer space. You don't know unless they want you to
1: know, and then they'll demonstrate some uh, thing that they can do that we can't do, that's humanly impossible for us to do. What
3: did they demonstrate to you, which convinced you, an apparently sober, sensible, balanced person, who nevertheless believes in flying saucers, that convinced you they were unearthly people?
1: Well, uh, they demonstrated the ability in front of 19 people sitting in a lounge, for instance, that they could sit there and disappear before your eyes and reappear. In fact, the man did this three times.
3: For you and your friends?
1: For 19 witnesses that were sitting in our lounge. Vanished in front of your eyes? Sit right there in a chair like you're there, and then you're not there. And then you're back there. He did this three times.
3: Now I'm going to disappear, but purely for one minute for this message. The previous foregoing interview with George Van Tassel of Giant Rock Airport, California, was not, I must stress, presented to you as a scientific examination of George's claims. There are so many holes in George's claims, even to the layman like myself, that one is bound to be, how shall I put it, a trifle cynical. For instance, uh, why didn't George keep one of the men with him to produce a living proof, and then we could have checked medically, his heart and lungs and everything else about him, to try and substantiate the claim that he is 700 F years of age. And why didn't he at least tell George where they came from? Well, why didn't he at least present George with some physical concrete proof so that people wouldn't regard him with suspicion and skepticism as someone who was perhaps just a little bit, you know, overly easily convinced perhaps by some form of hallucination? But he did tell us one thing, how to recognize visitors from outer space. If they ever come to you and you're sitting in the room, and they snap their fingers three times and disappear? And when they reappear a few seconds later, then you'll know for sure that they are from outer space. Thank you and good night.
0: Thank you for listening to Unsolved Mysteries of the World. We are including two bonus episodes alongside this one that includes lectures by George Van Tassel from 1956 and 1958 that speak about UFOs, alien life, free energy, and time travel. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please remember to subscribe, rate, and review. sitting around a campfire late at night, beer in hand, telling tales of Slenderman, Bigfoot, and the Wendigo, or listening to your favorite podcast about these legends. What better way to get a quick snack fix that is not only healthy, but low in sodium and fat, and one that gives you an energy boost, in case something creeps out of the wood, and you need to make a quick getaway. Today's podcast is brought to you by Jurassic Jerky. With over 25 gourmet flavors of tender, flavorful jerky, Jurassic Jerky is not only preservative free, it is MSG free, low in sodium and fat. Jurassic Jerky gives you traditional flavors along with creations like orange teriyaki, whiskey straight, draft beer, and applewood smoke style bacon jerky. Yes, bacon jerky. If you enjoy this podcast, order online at www.jurassicjerkyllc.com and enter promo code WORLD10, all in caps, for 10% off your order, free shipping over $30, and a free floss or toothpick in each package to ensure clean teeth. Not only that, each purchase you make, a portion of the proceeds will be donated to charities that support wounded combat veterans. Again, that is www.JurassicJerkyLLC.com and enter promo code WORLD10 to get our special offer.